0: scriptures from Matthew chapter 8 verses 18 to 22. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, first, let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jason. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you this morning. We've just started a new sermon series. We just started it last week. We're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 8 through 12, and the title for the sermon series, which will last us into the heart of the summer, is Why Follow Jesus? So you have permission, I'm giving everyone permission to ask the why question, even annoyingly, like a little child who's always saying, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? Why? We all have permission to ask that why question as we go through this series. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point, you've had Jesus, you've had his teaching challenge you and tell you something that you don't want to hear. You've had Jesus call you to do something you don't want to do. And when that happens, you have to answer the question, why follow Jesus? Why follow Jesus? If He's asking me to have this conviction, I don't know if I can have that conviction. If He's asking me to go in this direction and I don't want to, why follow Jesus? You have to have an answer to that question to embrace Jesus' teaching and to do what He tells you and asks you to do. If you're here and you are not yet a Christian, we're so glad. You are here. You're still learning about Jesus. You have permission to ask the why question as well. You've probably already seen things, maybe a lot of things, about Christianity, about Jesus that you disagree with, things that he would ask you to do that you don't want to do, and you're drawn to Jesus, but you stop short of becoming a follower of his because you need to have an answer to the why question. Well, I think the whole Gospel of Matthew, but especially these chapters, 8 through 12, were written to answer that question, why follow Jesus? In our first message last week, here's the answer we saw. Why follow Jesus last week, Matthew 8, 1 through 17? The answer was because Jesus brought the most inclusive welcome this world has ever seen. If it wasn't for Jesus, we'd all still be on the outside of God's kingdom, of his blessing, of the life we were made for. But because of Jesus, anyone can come in. Grace means we all have equal need and we all have equal access to God through Jesus. All that we have to do to come in is admit that we are outsiders. Now, in, um, in our modern world, in a place like Orange County very diverse, a lot of different belief systems uh, that our neighbors have, our friends and our co-workers. This might be the most compelling thing about Jesus to us. We're so drawn to his grace, this equality, this openness, this inclusivity that he embodied, how he was willing to cross all the social, economic, and religious barriers of his time. We say that is something compelling. But here, go ahead and glance down at the passage that Jason just read for us. In today's text, right after Jesus' great inclusive welcome, we have what might be the most challenging thing about Jesus for us in our modern Western world, in a place like Orange County. So we see that not only did Jesus bring the most inclusive welcome the world has ever seen, here in this text, we see Jesus also brings the most exclusive demand the world has ever seen. He says, give up everything and follow me and me only. Last week, verses 1 through 17, Jesus is welcoming everybody in. He's crossing all the spiritual, ethnic, and gender barriers of his day. He's lowering the bar here. It sounds like he's sending people away. And he's raising the bar impossibly high. Who could ever meet his standard? What's going on? Well, this morning, here's my goal as we look at this text. I hope to answer that question and see that the exclusive demand of Jesus is just as necessary just as compelling, just as persuasive an answer to the question of why follow Jesus as his inclusive welcome. We need both, and both are true, and both are necessary outworkings of his love towards us. How is that possible? Well, let's look at this text together. We're going to look at it in three stages. First, I want to look at how this passage shows us what Jesus is after. Secondly, how this text shows us, how Jesus shows us what we're really after. And thirdly, we'll circle back to our main question: why follow Jesus? Why follow after him? So, first, what Jesus is after. I think this, this passage, the this story of, of Jesus' interaction with these two people, it's one of the most clear places we can look to find out what Jesus is after. What was Jesus' purpose? What was his goal? What was he trying to do? And what is Jesus after now with us? Look at verse 18. Jesus saw a large crowd around him, and he said, yes, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm after, success, numbers. My popularity is on the rise. I'm hitting all my goals and my metrics. No, that's not what it says, is it? It says, large crowds gathered around Jesus, and he gave the order to his disciples to go to the other side of the lake. Let's get away from this crowd. We need to get away. This is not what I'm after in the Gospels. Especially in the Gospel of Matthew, crowds are the people who are in the neutral zone with Jesus. The crowds are observers, bystanders, they're onlookers. And what we see time after time again is Jesus is not after growing the number of bystanders, onlookers surrounding him. Jesus' goal was not to build a large crowd, but to make disciples to call people to be his followers. That is what Jesus was after. That is what Jesus is after. What is a crowd? Why did the crowds gather around Jesus? Crowds, they came to have an experience, right? They came to be inspired, maybe learn something, and then go on with their lives. But disciples come to be trained. They come to be taught And led and give their lives over to Jesus. So Jesus, throughout the Gospels, is calling people out of the crowds and into a life of discipleship. And that's what happened here. Two people came out of the crowd and they found out what Jesus was really after. And that's the first thing this text shows us by way of application We need to come out of the crowd to learn what Jesus is really after. And to come out of the crowd first means seeing and admitting how much we are swayed and influenced by the crowd and not our own thoughtful and honest search for truth. Now, as Americans, we might not like to hear that. We like to think of ourselves as individuals who make up our own minds about things. We are independent thinkers. No one's going to tell us what to do or what to think. But if I could just probe a little bit and challenge that, how do we make many of our decisions about what we do and what we pay attention to? Isn't it, by using these sorts of questions, well, how many likes did it get? How many followers or subscribers do they have? How many reviews and stars on Yelp did it get? We won't give anything or anyone the time of day unless the crowds they tell us to. Now, here's a little quiz for you. You can can answer these questions if you want. Who has the most followers on Instagram? Let me get his name right. Cristiano Ronaldo, soccer player. The most Twitter followers, anyone? Katy Perry. And the most YouTube subscribers, come on, students, you know this one. T-Series is number two. Indian music, by the way, yes. (laughs) The most YouTube followers, PewDiePie, yeah, yeah. I do know who PewDiePie is. Why do I bring that up? Well, in five years, do you think the answers to those questions will be the same? Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. In five years, the crowds will move on to other people. Because what the crowds think and what the crowds love and what the crowds celebrate and approve of, it's always changing. And as long as our choices are determined and our thinking is determined by the crowd, we'll never come out of the crowd to see who Jesus is for ourselves. Jesus is after a personal encounter with each person. And the, the reality is we can, we can go to church, we can grow up in the church, and still stay in the crowd. Christians, my Christian friends, were just as susceptible to the crowds as anyone is. Every church needs to ask ourselves, are we after the same thing that Jesus is after, making disciples and followers and not just building a crowd? Do we have Jesus' metrics? Every Christian should ask themselves, who or what am I following? Is it the latest celebrity, popular leader, Christian leader, Christian celebrity, the The latest and and greatest current controversy, or am I after Jesus? Following Jesus will often lead us to think and live very differently than the crowds. And when and where it does, it's that difference that Jesus calls holiness, that makes us salt and light. People who can bring good to the world. So what is Jesus after? He's after followers. He's after disciples. And here, the next thing that happens is two people come out of the crowd. So they come out of the neutral zone. They come to Jesus. One says, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus says to him, really? Are you ready to be homeless? And then another says, I'll follow too, but first let me Go bury my father. And Jesus says to him, there are no time for funerals here. So we hear that and we say, wow, if Jesus is after disciples, if Jesus is after followers, this doesn't seem like the best way to recruit and draw them in. Why is he making it so hard for people who come out of the crowd to him to have this personal encounter? Why is he making it so hard on them? to become his followers. Well, whatever you believe about Jesus, when you read the Gospels, and if you read them, you'll have to agree that as you look at Jesus, here is a master. Here's someone who is a master at helping people figure out what they're really after. Time after time again, he helps people see, are you really after the same thing I am after? Or is it really something else? And Jesus tailored his approach to Each individual soul, each of their stories, and he went straight to the heart. That's what's going on here. Jesus is showing these two people what it is that they're really after. Let's talk about them one at a time. The first, in verse 19, it tells us, here is a scribe. This means this guy was a Bible expert. He was a teacher of the law. That was his life and his career. And he approaches Jesus and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go might say, wow, that sounds great. This is exactly the kind of thing Jesus is after with people. But then he says, in verse 20, something, something strange to our ears. What does he say? Foxes have dens, the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What's going on here? Well, When a disciple came to a teacher at this time, the first thing to do was to set the terms of the the relationship. This is something we have to deal with all the time now. If you want to subscribe to anything, join anything online, there's always that button, right, that you have to click that says, do you agree to these terms and conditions? And if you bother to click what the terms and conditions are, it's like 30 pages long. You're scrolling through and you're just like... Yeah, whatever. I just need to move on and do this thing that I'm trying to do. So click. I agree to the terms and conditions. But don't you have that little nagging voice in you that's like, did I just sign my firstborn child over to Google? What have I done? Because no one takes the time to read that. It's not that way with Jesus. He was always very clear about the terms of following him. What was this scribe doing here? He was coming to Jesus on his own terms and conditions. How do we see that? Well, first he calls Jesus teacher. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, did you know that in the New Testament, no real disciple of Jesus ever calls Jesus teacher? The rich young ruler, if you're familiar with that story, called Jesus teacher, and he walked away from him. The scribes and the Pharisees addressed Jesus as teacher. Teacher was the title that Jesus resisted the most. And many people think of Jesus like this. Jesus is just a teacher. He's one of many religious teachers that I choose. Jesus says, those are not my terms. That is not who I am. Secondly... This man comes to Jesus, taking the initiative. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. The normal pattern of discipleship in in Jesus' day was you would petition different rabbis to become their follower. Jesus says, it's not that way with me. I take the initiative, not you. You see Jesus moving into people's lives. He comes and he says, follow me. He takes the initiative and they follow. Now, based on those two things, I think we can infer a little bit more. This might be reading in to things a little bit, but I think there's enough there to get deeper into this man's heart. It looks like he's coming to Jesus to increase Jesus' prestige. It says he was a scribe, right? So far, Jesus didn't have a scribe on his team yet, and he said, Jesus, looks like you don't have a Bible expert on your team. You have a couple fishermen over there, this guy, I'm not sure what he does, pretty blue collar. You need a scribe. Then you'll have a complete team. You're lucky to have me on your team, and we see some pride there. And why would he do that? Well, even deeper, it looks like he's coming to Jesus to advance himself, his agenda for his life. He says, I've studied under all these other teachers. I'm looking to move on, to advance my agenda and my reputation. And Jesus says, following me will not give you the success and the comfort you are after. He says, it'll make you more uncomfortable than you have ever been. What you are really after is a God you can control, a God that... Will owe you because of your obedience and your goodness who will give you what you want. Whenever someone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teacher, Jesus, teach me and I will follow you. Jesus' response was always basically the same. Okay, lesson one, give up everything and follow me. That's my teaching for you. Why would Jesus say that? He was showing people who came to him as just another teacher. He said, what you're really after isn't God at all. You're after a God you can control, a God who will owe you. The overconfident, this man was overconfident. He was overeager in coming to Jesus. And the only way that someone can be overconfident in following Jesus is if they have no idea what following Jesus is all about. The overconfident need to be humbled. And isn't it interesting, the ones who knew the Bible best, who studied it for a living, the most religious and good people, Jesus consistently told them, what you're really after isn't God. What you're after is what you can get for God, from God, because of your goodness. That's the first person. What about the second person? Comes out of the crowd, says, Lord, first let me bury my father sounds like a very reasonable excused absence to have, something very important, something scripture even supported, honor your father and mother. Burial of the dead, especially your parents at this time, was one of the most important social obligations anyone could have. All the rabbis said, if you have to bury your parents, you are freed from all religious obligations. You don't have to attend uh, prayer time. You don't have to do any of the sacrifices. Just fulfill this obligation first. Now, there's a lot of debate as to exactly what is going on here and what this man is asking. Did his father just pass away and he's coming to Jesus at this moment? That is actually highly unlikely. It's actually highly unlikely that his father had already died, most scholars say. Because if his father had died and he hadn't been buried yet, he would not be in the crowds following after Jesus. He would not be approaching Jesus. He would be there with his family taking care of. Of his obligations. What he's most likely saying and using is an idiom, a Hebrew idiom. He's saying this, essentially I want to follow you, Jesus, but first I need to wait until my father dies and is properly buried and honored. Then I'll start. Then you'll be first. The idiom would be Jesus, I have to take care of my family obligations first, of course, and then follow after you. And what Jesus says to him, let me show you what you are after. You are after a Lord on your own timetable. A Lord on your timetable is not really a Lord. He says there's no higher priority or allegiance than to him. There's nothing more important, more urgent or more pressing than this. The overconfident need to be humbled, but here was somebody who was hesitant. The only way Someone can be hesitant in following after Jesus as if they have no idea what following after Jesus is. The hesitant need to be provoked, challenged, roused, and awakened to choose. What Jesus is after His disciples. Jesus was a master of showing us what we are after. Jesus sets the terms. He says everything. Jesus sets the timetable. He says now. This is his way of showing us what we are really after in this life. Everything now, Jesus? Really? Do you know what that would mean? What What would that look like? What would I have to give up? And it leads us to a choice. Now that I know what Jesus is after, now that I see what I'm after in this life, will I? Will I follow Jesus? Which takes us back to our question, why? Why would I follow him? If he asked for everything now, why would I follow Jesus? Someone who's so exclusive and so demanding. Why follow after Jesus? That question always carries with it the parallel question, well, who is Jesus anyway? To call for this exclusive demand and authority. And the the question only really has two answers. Jesus only leaves us two options. Jesus either has complete authority over our lives and the world. He knows what is good. He knows what is true. And he has all the right to demand from us exclusive obedience and trust. And if he didn't, if he knew these things, if it's true, Jesus is the authority on human life and flourishing and blessing. If he knew all these things and he did not demand exclusive loyalty from us, how could he be loving? That's option one. Or, Jesus is a completely deluded person, and his demand for exclusive loyalty should be absolutely rejected. Who talks like this? Who asks for something like this except a maniac? Let me share an illustration. Uh, a few weeks ago for our spring break, we were hiking in uh, Zion National Park and had a lot of fun hikes, except for one for me. I think it was called Canyon View. I can't remember the name, but I don't love, I don't love heights, and this hike was very high. And so this, this hike, the path was going um, up this mountain, and it was about three, a three-foot wide path in some places. Some places had a, um, a railing that so you could hold on to for a little security and safety, but some didn't. I think they call that exposed. As I was reading up, like, there, like, are there's some areas that are exposed. Like, what does that mean? But when I was up there, I realized what that meant because I felt exposed. Like, let's get out of here as quickly as possible. We made it to the end. Even though I don't like heights, it was an incredible view, an incredible hike. Now, If I was to come back down, and there was a group of hikers, all deathly afraid of heights, even more than me. They said, we want to go to the top. How do we get there? What I would say to them is this, stay on the path. If you move off the three-foot path, this narrow little path, you will die. And it's like thousands of feet down to your death. So stay on this path. Don't veer off that way. Don't even think about going this way. Don't make your own path. If you do, you will die. This is the exclusive path to stay alive. Now, if you can stay with me in this illustration, no one would say to me, this fearful group of hikers would not say, you hate me because you are intolerant of all the other paths that I want to take. To get to the mountain, you won't give me the freedom to choose my own path. What Jesus calls us to here is either the most loving and compassionate, kind thing He could do. I'm calling you to live. Or it's the most insane and wrong and harmful thing anyone could do. There's no neutral zone with Jesus. He says, Follow me. How do we decide? comes back to who Jesus is. When Jesus humbles us, confronts us, challenges us, and calls us to choose, when we are asking the why question, why, Jesus, should I do this? I don't want to. I don't want to embrace that. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. We come back and ask the question, is this someone with loving authority or is this someone who would lead me astray? In verse 20, Jesus, he answers that question for us. It's a little hidden, but it's there. In verse 20, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm not a teacher you choose. I'm not a Lord among other lords in your life. I am the son of man. The son of man, he says, has no place to lay his head. This is a very rich title, Jesus' favorite title for himself. If teacher is his least favorite title. Son of man was his favorite title, the thing he called himself the most. The son of man is a title from the Old Testament. And the book of Daniel describes the son of man as one who has all authority and dominion over all things on earth. He has exclusive demand over all things and divine power when Jesus claimed this title, at his trial, the high priest tore his robes and said, this is blasphemy for someone to call themselves the son of man. But here Jesus says, here's who I am. I am the son of man who has nowhere to lay his head. The one who has all authority and power in the universe chooses to be homeless. Why? To give up everything. Later, Jesus uses the same title about himself. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, I'm laying down all my authority and power and rights to serve you, to give my life for yours. Who is Jesus? Is he the one with loving authority, who would never lead us astray? Or is he one whom if we follow, we're following somebody crazy who's leading us astray from what is good and right and true? Whenever we ask the why question, whenever Jesus calls us to something and we question it, we struggle with it, we're doing A cost-benefit analysis. There is a cost. Jesus is pretty clear about that. It will cost us our comfort, our agendas, control over our lives, the approval of the crowds. There's great cost. But what about the benefit? Jesus says you'll get a God who will not only lay down his head in the dirt for you, but a God who laid down his life for you. A God who would die and be buried for you. So when it comes time for your burial, your death will be swallowed up by his life. A God who loves you so much, he'll do anything to get your attention, to call you to follow him. And so the most important question in anyone's life, those who are followers of Jesus and those who are still asking the question, why should I start? The most important question is, what is Jesus calling me to? How is he calling me to follow him? Now, there are so many different stories and situations in this room. And I know some of the things that you are thinking about and dealing with right now. I don't know everything that everybody's dealing with. I know some of you are in a very hard place where you're asking why and how, how can I follow Jesus to where he's calling me to follow him now Jesus might be telling you any number of things, he might be saying to you in your life right now, stick it out stay with it don't give up he might be saying let go you can give it to me He might be saying, Don't go there, go this way. He might be saying to you, You can't do this alone. You need to get help. He might be saying to you, Come clean, be fully honest for the first time. All of this, and I could go on, that's costly, very costly. But whatever the cost of following Jesus, and there always will be one, the cost of not following him is always greater. Whatever it costs, you can trust him. He is the son of man who came to serve you, to give his life for yours. Why follow Jesus? Why would we do anything else? Let's pray. Jesus, this is not an easy passage for us. It's not easy to hear hear you say everything now that we are called to follow you in all the places of our lives, wherever you call us to right now with urgency and immediacy. And so I pray for us that though there is great cost in following you, that you would be so kind and gracious to us to direct our eyes off of the thing that we might be losing or giving up, the cost to us, and you might re- Direct our eyes on you, the cost that you took in order to set us free to follow you. I pray that you would meet your people through your word, and I pray you would meet your people at this table. Enable us to follow after you with everything now. We can only do it by your strength and grace. We pray it in your name, amen.